Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim, in for Michael Krasny. President Donald Trump has made restricting immigration a central component of his administration and campaign messaging. On the other side, former Vice President Joe Biden has promised to reverse Trump's family separation policy, set up a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, and establish a fair and humane immigration system. With the election approaching next week, we'll discuss each candidate's policy positions in one of the nation's most divisive issues. Here with us is Taiki Hendricks, senior editor covering immigration for KQED. Taiki, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Mina. So first, just start us out by explaining the core differences between the two men's positions. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it is really striking that immigration has not been a central focus uh, so much in this election campaign when it really was a signature issue in Trump's uh, rise to, to power in the presidency. Mm. Uh, and the contrast is really stark between the two of them. Um, President Trump has, in a very effective and pretty relentless way, um, brought through more than 400 mostly executive actions that have restricted immigration in a, a pretty wide range of ways. You remember the travel ban on people from mostly Muslim countries going back to the very first weeks of his presidency. Uh, he's effectively uh, blocked access to asylum for, for migrants at the southern border. Um, there's a, a freeze on green cards and visas, um, attempts to, to punish sanctuary cities for, for not cooperating with immigration enforcement, a whole raft of issues there um, that, that President Trump has pushed through. And then on the other side, um, Vice President Biden has um, taken a tone that is much more about uh, welcoming immigrants and um, having an immigration policy that would uh, that would respect the rule of law but also embrace immigrants as as a integral part of of the country and one thing he came out uh, with that surprised some people at the debate last week was to say within the first hundred days um, he was going to bring forward an immigration reform bill uh, in Congress to legalize the estimated 11 million undocumented people in the country. So um, that that is a you know a, a, a striking move and um, one that really sets him apart from from Trump. Taiki, do you think that has something to do with Obama's legacy on immigration? I mean, there has been some call for him to explain, to apologize. I mean, do you think in some ways he's trying to mitigate the the history of Obama's administration in terms of being the, quote, deporter in chief? Right. Well, uh, with people more on the, the progressive end of the spectrum, uh, there is definitely baggage uh, that the Obama administration had with both, um, you know, more than 3 million uh, deportations, um, but also 
Obama himself promised an immigration reform bill in the first hundred days, and then that priority was really overtaken by the Great Recession and the and the the need to right the economy, and then the decision to push forward on on healthcare reform. So immigration really kind of fell off the agenda uh, during the Obama administration. He he did some course correcting and. Um, created the DACA program for, for young undocumented immigrants um, and then really uh, installed some, some priorities in terms of enforcement that were about targeting people who were, you know, um, criminals with violent histories rather than otherwise law-abiding um, immigrants who were unauthorized. So, but, but yeah, Biden is definitely uh, dealing with that legacy. And I think, uh, immigrant advocates who were patient during the Obama years and then kind of came away empty handed in terms of immigration reform, I think are not going to be so patient with with a Biden administration if if he's elected. We're talking about the presidential candidates immigration policies with Tyke Hendricks, a senior editor who covers immigration for KQED. And you, our listeners, can join us by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. What immigration policies would you like to see continue or change in the next presidential term? What do you think of the presidential candidates' approaches to immigration? I mean, Taiki Hendricks, you did lay out all the actions that Trump did, especially early on in his presidency related to immigration, since it was such a focal point of his 2016 campaign. Why do you think it's taken such a backseat in the run-up to this election? You know, it's a really interesting question. I mean, the, the obvious answer is the pandemic uh, has has pushed so many other issues to the side, uh, and not only the the public health crisis that we're all dealing with, uh, but but the economic crisis that that the coronavirus pandemic has has led to, uh, and then you know racial justice protests, um, the real. Um, the way that climate change is, you know, is making itself felt through wildfires and hurricanes. So, so these are all legitimate issues that are demanding our attention. But, you know, there's also some speculation that uh, Trump's restrictive immigration policies are not that popular in a broad way in this country where three quarters of Americans say that immigrants are good for the United States. And, uh, and that's certainly even more the case in California and the Bay Area, where, you know, almost one in three of us in the Bay Area are people born in, a, in another country. And then, of course, countless others who have immigrant parents or immigrant spouses, and we all work with immigrants and so forth. So, it, you know, immigrants are, are integral to, to our communities and our society. And, um, and it may be that those restrictive uh, approaches that are popular with with people in in President Trump's base are not uh, big vote getters uh, more broadly. Hmm. Well, this listener tweets: If Trump wins and tries to enact Miller's policies regarding sanctuary cities, it would pit the federal government not only against states and cities, but also many universities who depend on federal grants. What can you tell us about that? Well. Um, there are, you know, sanctuary policies in many um, cities in California, uh, and especially in the Bay Area. And then the state of California itself has a sanctuary policy, which is basically to say, um, 
you know, we are local law enforcement. We, our job is not to enforce federal immigration law and uh, our, um, you know, we're not going to cooperate with, with immigration and customs enforcement on, on arresting and deporting people. Now there are big exceptions to that with, with the state sanctuary law, which, uh, you know, when there are people who are, are violent criminals, uh, there is cooperation. But this is something that that um, the Trump administration has really tried to uh, to punish uh, local cities for for their sanctuary policies. They've been thwarted in court, but it may be something. And I think uh, Trump's advisor, Stephen Miller, has come out in the last day or so saying, you know, this will be a, a focal point for a second term along with uh, other things like expanding the travel ban and further uh, restricting asylum. Well, let me go to caller Will in Castro Valley. Hi, Will. Join us. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm calling because I wanted to uh, bring up how the, I feel like the left doesn't talk about the economic benefits as much um, for immigration, especially in the long term. You know, the right often talks about, you know, stealing jobs, you know, how immigrants steal jobs and, and it costs the economy money to bring all these asylum seekers in and whatnot. And I just feel like that's not true. You know, I feel like the left has the upper hand in argument in, in the morality division because we don't want to separate kids from their families. You know, we want asylum seekers to be safe. Um, and the right, they, they hammer the economic uh, uh, impact or, or what they perceive as the economic impact, but it, it, I just feel like their arguments aren't true. And I just, mm. you know, the the immigrants drive the economy in many ways, especially mm-hmm. in the long term. And I just feel that's something that should be brought up more often. Well, thanks. I mean, Taiki, both candidates have said that their policies would boost the economy, but as mm. Will points out, in different ways. Can you explain the differences? Sure. And I think this is a place where um, we see such a difference, not only in terms of policy, but also in terms of tone and the sort of the tone and the tenor of of the two uh, campaigns and, and candidates in terms of, you know, how we view immigrants in this country. And there are these sort of moral questions um, that the caller raised around uh, family separation and so forth. But also um, President Trump, yes, has really uh, cast immigrants as a drain on the economy and um, people who are stealing jobs. And I think there's a kind of a scapegoating that he didn't invent, but that has been out there in this country for some time um, that, you know, there are big changes, macro changes in our economy, globalization, technology uh, is shifting jobs. Um, we're moving to sort of a gig economy in a lot of places. And and there are a lot of people who are feeling economic insecurity. So that um, his message that immigrants are to blame is tapping into that insecurity. Uh, looking at the Biden platform, and you can go look at his website on immigration. You know, he he is actually at least sort of you know in in that platform drawing connections um, to the ways that immigrants do. St- stimulate the economy and 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 help uh, contribute and are integral to our prosperity both as producers and consumers um, so that is an argument and it hasn't always been the front and center one but it, it it's conceivable that that's something that that Biden uh, would put some focus on because it's 
you know, it is something he's, he's outlined, but as we've said, it hasn't been uh, a major talking point uh, to this point in the, in the campaign. Let me go next to caller Leslie in Bolinas. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Are you with us? Oh, yes. Sorry. sorry. No problem. You're on the air. Thank you. I, um, when you describe a policy attributable to a president and you talk about Obama, oftentimes, and you say, well, he didn't do this and he didn't do that. He was tied into a Republican Senate who would not approve anything. And I don't think that is mentioned enough. Hmm. He's not, he was not solely responsible for what happened, but it's always described like that. So. Well, Right. And one of the, part of the frustration, uh, Taiki Hendricks, mm-hmm. is that Obama actually had, you know, both chambers in his first in the first Years. part of his yeah. presidency. Yeah. And he did not take advantage of that to try to pass comprehensive immigration reform. Leslie's That's absolutely that. right that uh, he resorted to executive action later because he was being blocked by a Republican controlled Senate. Right. Yes. And as we, yeah, I mean, there definitely were other priorities that jumped the line and his chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, felt like uh, immigration reform was was a hot potato and it was, they were going to spend too much political capital on uh, trying to push uh, an immigration reform bill. And and they backed away from it in those early years of, of Obama's presidency. And then, as the caller says, yeah, uh, the Senate, when there was Republican control, uh, was not interested in in an immigration reform. So Obama really moved in his last couple of years uh, into uh, using executive actions as much as possible and, and kind of trying to push the envelope, not only DACA for um, for the kids who were brought here as children uh, unlawfully, um, but then also trying to extend that to the parents of of citizens and and legal residents, um, and that got thwarted in the courts. Um, but then Trump has re- really taken that executive action approach and run with it because he doesn't control both houses of Congress either and hasn't been able to pass bills. So Congress is a big piece of this, and this election. Um, is not just about the president, obviously, but, um, you know, what uh, if Biden were to be elected, what he could do uh, on immigration as president would really depend on whether Democrats also win control of the Senate. Uh, And uh, that's, you know, I mean, those are all open questions at this point as far as as who who is going to win this election. We're talking about the presidential candidates' immigration policies with Taiki Hendricks, senior editor covering immigration for KQED. And you, our listeners, let me go next to Mohammed in San Jose. Hi, Mohammed. Hello. Uh, so um, I see a contradiction in the policies of the administration here when they try to enforce local government, local state governments uh, to cooperate with the federal government. Um, enforcing the immigration uh, policy while, um, you know, when it comes to the pandemic policy or other policies, they say, no, we should leave uh, as much freedom to the states to implement, uh, you know, you know, their policies however they want, um, you know, when it comes to mandates and uh, what else. 
And also this contradicts with the conservative general policy as well, you know, to uh, reduce the size of the government and also, you know, uh, leave as much freedom to the states. Could you comment on that? Mohammed, thanks. I mean, consistency around this, Taiki Hendricks, that's certainly been something that uh, we haven't seen from Republicans or Democrats, but particularly Republicans around this issue. Yeah, well, I mean, it and it highlights, uh, you know, the, the different levels of authority uh, around immigration, um, which is a, it's a national, it's a federal uh, policy, uh, you know, uh, the laws on immigration are federal laws. Um, then we have have states like California that have uh, come up with their own laws. They they don't control uh, federal issues around deportation or around you know who is Hi. who is admitted to the country. But uh, they do. Um, uh, you know we we have a lot of of state policies that have really tried to embrace immigrants and and be welcoming there. So there is definitely some some. Uh, some disjuncture, some disconnect between state and federal uh, on immigration. Well, Butch writes, are you aware that the U.S. is the third most populous nation after China and India? Are you aware that the U.S. has the highest immigration rates in the world? Restricting immigration is a fact of life and by no means controversial. Taggy Hendricks, Stephen Miller, Trump's lead advisor on immigration, of course, said the administration will double down on policies such as limiting asylum, work visas and penalizing so-called sanctuary cities. I mean, can you talk more about the efforts to basically clamp down on the border that uh, Trump will likely continue and potentially double down on if he's yeah. awarded another so, term. Right. I, I mean, the restrictive efforts have been uh, both on unauthorized immigration, but also on really throttling legal immigration. And um, they just set the lowest cap for, for the number of refugees uh, that the U.S. will take uh, since we've had a refugee program. Uh, 15,000 people is the cap for the this per current coming year. Um, Biden has said he would expand that back up to 125,000 refugees that will admit. And yes, it's true. The U.S. has had a, a, a pretty generous policy on immigration uh, historically. Uh, we are a big country, so the number of immigrants that we admit are is not um, enormous relative to our population. Um, but but yeah, the really stark contrast between a welcoming approach and one that really feels that immigrants are are a negative force and, and something out. One of many stark contrasts between our two candidates making this election very high stakes. Taiki Hendricks, thanks so much for talking to us about the candidates' immigration policies and plans. Great to talk with you, Mina. Taiki Hendricks, senior editor covering immigration for KQED. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. Stay with us for another hour of Forum. We'll be talking election anxiety. I'm Mina Kim in for Michael Krasny. You're listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.